0: Church family, I invite you to open up in God's word to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24 is our text for today. The title of our message is God's faithfulness through brokenness, God's faithfulness through brokenness. Genesis 29, verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24, we're going to read from God's word Let's. Let God's spirit minister to our hearts through his word. As we read, this is the word of God. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated He has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into hers so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, as I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Natalie. Then Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I. For women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I, have, because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So, so she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage of your word, would you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And hearts that are softened to the moving of your spirit through your word. Teach us what you want to teach us, Lord. And help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, the Bible begins and ends with pictures of perfect beauty. But in between, we see a whole lot of ugliness. The Bible begins and ends with places of perfect righteousness. But in between, we see the filth of unrighteousness. The Bible begins and ends with people living in perfect harmony with one another. But all in between, we see strained and broken relationships. You see, in the first two chapters of the Bible, we see a world without sin. And in the last chapter of the Bible, we see a world without sin. But in between, we see one thousand one hundred eighty six chapters of a world that is full of sin. Which means in between those first two chapters, which describe God's creation and the Garden of Eden, and then that last chapter that describes the the new heavens and the new earth in between that, we see a lot of chapters, a lot of of living A lot of chapters that describe the brokenness of God's broken world, and that brokenness is on full display, as you've just seen in our passage of Scripture before us today. But church, here's the thing. The Bible is not simply a book just full of bad news, just full of brokenness that happens to be bookended by a few chapters of perfection. It is a book which describes to us the God who sovereignly works through the brokenness of this world to show compassion to broken people so that he can build his people by using his sovereignty and his compassion to then send a savior who enters our brokenness and brings rescue to the broken people living in this broken world. That is the message of the Bible. And that is also the message of our passage today. It is a passage both of brokenness and a passage of hope and a passage of life. Church, Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24 teaches us this, that through scenes of brokenness, God faithfully builds his people through scenes of brokenness. God faithfully builds his people. Let's remember the context for just a moment. If You've been tracking along with us through Genesis. You know what's going on. If you haven't, maybe that passage is kind of like, whoa, where in the world did that come from? What's going on? Well, if you recall, Jacob has cheated his twin brother Esau out of the family blessing. Esau, his brother, now wants to kill him. Jacob has run off to a faraway land, one, to escape from his brother's wrath, and two, to find a wife from his people. And last week, in the first part of chapter 29, we saw that God provided him success in a way, but at the same time, God was disciplining Jacob because of his deceitfulness. Jacob worked seven years for his uncle Laban so he could marry Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. But do you remember what happened in our passage last week on their wedding night? Laban tricked Jacob and switched his daughters. And the result was Jacob, without his knowing, married Leah, the older, instead of Rachel, the younger, whom he loved. And then after Jacob was married to Leah, Laban told Jacob, hey, I'll give you Rachel if you'll work for me another seven years. So when we finished verse 30 last week, Jacob has worked for Laban seven years. He was married at this point now to both of Laban's daughters. He has another seven years of hard labor ahead of him. Plus, we're told in verse 30 that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. You don't have to be very smart to see that this family is off to a really rocky start, a really rough start. Last week, I mentioned that that in chapter twenty nine with Jacob willing to work. For, for for Rachel so many years and they just were a few days that it was almost like the, the beginnings of of a Hallmark movie, right? all oh, they're so in love and I said, Well it didn't turn out that way. Someone after the service said it started out as a Hallmark movie and turned into a lifetime movie. And uh, that's pretty good thinking right there. I didn't come up with that. Uh but but yeah it's 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 turning out to be just an ugly, ugly picture of brokenness. And and things Aren't just that way at the very beginning. They kind of stay that way for a while in this family. We see this brokenness. Think about it. Leah is married to a man who hates her. She has children, but that doesn't change her husband's lack of affection towards her. Rachel, the beautiful one, is barren and becomes incredibly envious of her sister's fruitful womb. The sisters basically have a battle of babies they try to outdo one another in having children. The bitter competition goes so far that they, they enlist their, uh, their maid servants to have children on their behalf so that they can tally up more kids in their competition in this battle of babies. And if that's not enough, verses 14 through 16, Leah actually pays Rachel for an opportunity to spend the night with Jacob. I mean, Jacob left a family mess back in the land of promise, and now he's right in the middle of another family mess, a mess of brokenness, and it's the brokenness that's caused by sin. But there is good news, and the good news is that God was there. He was there the whole time, and he wasn't just there passively. God was at work. What was he doing? Well, church, he's doing what God always does. He's proving his faithfulness. He's proving his faithfulness once again. Last week, we saw that through moments of discipline, God faithfully preserves his people. And today we see that through scenes of brokenness, God faithfully builds his people. I'm going to share with you three truths from this passage today, church. Number one is this. God sovereignly works through the brokenness of people. God sovereignly works through the brokenness of people. I know that may sound like a very simple statement, but but don't run past this. I believe this truth that we see here in this passage can be a source of great encouragement for me and for you in our brokenness. When we find ourselves in scenes of brokenness, that through the brokenness, God is faithfully at work. You remember that one of the things we noticed in the first part of chapter 29 was that God seemed to kind of be missing. At least he was missing from Jacob's. Thoughts and words, God was not mentioned at all as Jacob went off to find a wife, found a wife, got tricked by his sinister uncle. Never once do we see him praying to God, but God had not abandoned Jacob, even though Jacob didn't seem to have God on his mind. God had not abandoned Jacob. The first verse of our passage today today says when the Lord saw he was there and the passage today ends, draw to a close in chapter 30, verse 22 with these words. Then God remembered the Lord saw. God remembered he's there. And all through the brokenness of these verses, not only was he there, but he is at work and he wasn't at work wringing, wringing his hands, pacing back and forth, wondering what his next move should be after Jacob and Laban have royally messed things up. He's not at work going, I don't know what to do. Well, he's at work doing exactly what he has sovereignly planned to do. From the beginning. Yes. God allowed Laban to deceive Jacob, but God had not abandoned his salvation promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Do you remember part of the promise to Abraham way back when when we were looking at Genesis chapter 12? Do you remember part of that promise? I will make you into a great nation. And he told told Abraham, you're going to have offspring that that numbers like the stars in the heavens. That's what he told Abraham. And that promise got passed down to Isaac and promise got passed on to Jacob in church through the brokenness of this passage. That's exactly what God is doing. This passage describes the birth of eleven sons and one daughter to Jacob in the midst of the brokenness. There's a lot of new life here. There's a lot of new life. There's a lot of cries of newborn babies. Jacob has four sons with Leah. He has two sons with Billah. He has two sons with Zilpah. Then he has two more sons with Leah. Then he has a son with uh, with Rachel. And in the midst of that, he has a daughter with Leah. Now, obviously, that's not the way that it's all supposed to happen. But in the midst of the brokenness, God is providing this new life. And he has a plan for this new life. Now, in a moment, we're going to dive into the brokenness, the hatred, the envy and despair of this passage. But don't miss the big picture here. God is sovereignly at work. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't abandoned them in their brokenness. He is there and he is doing something good. It's so good. He's so sovereign over their brokenness that he's not just working out his plan around them like, ooh, that's a mess. I'm still going to. I'm still going to accomplish my plan, but I'm going to have to step over here and I'm going to have to work around the brokenness. That's not what we see in the passage. What we see is that God is just right in the middle of the brokenness, working right through the brokenness to accomplish his plan and his purposes. Church, these 11 sons born in the midst of and as the result of brokenness, intense brokenness, become 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel who are God's chosen people through whom God would send his chosen king who would fulfill all of his salvation promises. That's what God is doing here. Notice how the text emphasizes God being the one who is sovereignly at work. In chapter 29, verse 31, it was God who opened Leah's womb. In chapter 30, verse 22, it was God who opened Rachel's womb. In chapter 30, verse 14 through 18, we see Rachel ask Leah for mandrakes. Say, what in the world are those? Well, they were fruits. And they were thought to be fertility fruits. They thought if you ate some of these mandrakes, well, you were more likely to have a child. And so here comes Reuben in from the field. That's Leah's son, holding some fertility fruits. Uh, what they, that's what they thought they were good for. And, uh, and Rachel, the barren one, sees, oh, hey, he found some of those. There's my sister's son. He found some of those. And she tells Leah, hey, I want those. Well, obviously, we know why she wanted those. She's in this competition. And at that point, she hasn't had a, had a child of her own. Right, uh, Leah, well, she's in the competition, too. She says, I don't think so. Rachel says, well, how about this? I'll make you a trade. You can sleep with Jacob tonight, which also helps us know how neglected Leah was in this whole process. She says, I'll, I'll trade. I'll trade a night with Jacob, if you give me the mandrakes, Leah, starving for the attention and the affection of her husband, is willing to risk giving up a tally on the other side, her, ch- her her sister having a child. She's willing to risk that so that she can spend the night with her husband. Mandrakes, fertility fruit. Who ends up with the mandrakes? Rachel, who ends up pregnant? Leah. What's the point? point is that God's the one who's doing this they're trying to orchestrate it all themselves but God's got his hand on this he's doing what he's going to do in his way now we know later he remembers Rachel but at this point what would seem like would be happening from the natural standpoint oh the fertility fruit as the one who gives them up is actually the one who has another child God is at work. It's to highlight his sovereign hand at work through this brokenness. Friend, I I may not know exactly what your brokenness looks like today. Maybe something similar to something in this story. It may be something very different than what we see in this passage of Scripture. I, I may not know exactly what your brokenness looks like. But I do know this. that If you belong to God, he is sovereignly at work in the midst of your brokenness. He might not do things the way that you think they should be done. But you can rest assured he is at work in the midst of your brokenness and he can actually use your brokenness for his glory to build up you and the rest of his people into the people that he's called us to be. I love what God's word says in Romans chapter eight in Romans eight, Paul is pondering the sufferings, the brokenness of this world. This present time, this time that we live in, in between the first two chapters of Genesis and the last chapter of Revelation. This time is full of brokenness. He's pondering that. And he says that creation has been subjected to futility. That's brokenness. And that the whole creation has been groaning under the pains of childbirth. That means the creation is broken. It's groaning in this brokenness. It hurts. It's the groan of unloved Leah. It's the groan of barren Rachel. It's the groan of two maidservants being used as surrogate mothers by two sisters who are entrenched in a bitter rivalry. It's the groan of marital conflict. It's the groan of a house full of children growing up in a home that's super broken and dysfunctional. It's the groan of that brokenness. And yet Paul goes on. To write in Romans eight, considering the brokenness of this world, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, Jacob had been called according to God's purpose. God had set his love upon him. We've seen this already in Genesis. He set his love upon him before he was even born. He was called according to his purpose. And God is at work, sovereignly working to build his people through Jacob's Broken family. And friend, God can sovereignly work. He is sovereignly at work, even in the midst of your brokenness, to accomplish his plan for his glory. So don't lose heart. God is at work. But there's something else we need to notice and be encouraged by in this passage. It's not simply that God is at work in the brokenness. It's also that God shows deep compassion to broken people in this passage. Truth number two, church, is this. God shows compassion to broken people. God shows compassion. It's one thing for God to still be accomplishing accomplishing his plan. But it's not just that he's, he's accomplishing his plan, but kind of ignoring the hurt of the individuals in this passage. He's not doing that. He's at work accomplishing his plan at the same time. He is showing very real compassion to very broken people. He's not distant in his work, but he's also not distant in his care and concern. He's working out his plan while he listens to and notices and responds with compassion to the broken people here. Take just a moment and let's make a mental list of all the emotions and feelings of brokenness that we see in this passage. I'm going to summarize it and then we're going to look at some phrases, Okay. Think about it. Jacob is suddenly married. I want you to really dive into how they would be feeling. Jacob is suddenly married to two sisters, one of which he doesn't love and didn't want to marry. Within a matter of a week, Leah, put yourself in her shoes, goes from being unmarried to being married to a man who doesn't want to be married to her, to being married to a man who is also married to her sister, who he loves and still doesn't love her. What about Rachel? She finds herself married to a man who loves her deeply, but who is having children with her sister while she remains barren. Put yourself in their shoes. Feel what they must have been feeling. Friends, there's deep hurt. There's deep brokenness in this passage. It's easy to read it and go, wow, that's a mess and move on. But but feel the mess for a moment. Look at look at the words, look at the, the words that God used to describe what was happening in this passage. Chapter twenty nine, verse thirty two, my affliction. Chapter twenty nine, verse thirty three, I am hated. Chapter twenty nine, verse thirty four. Now this time my husband will be attached to me. But he wasn't. Chapter thirty, verse one, she envied. Have you ever, have you ever felt the brokenness, the, the hurt, the envy brings into your life, it rots your bones. That's what Proverbs says. The jealousy rots your bones. Oh, it hurts. Chapter 30, verse one, give me children and I shall die. Chapter 30, verse two, anger was kindled It's rage inside of Jacob. Chapter 30, verse 22, my reproach. You know what that means? My reproach, where she reflects back on on years of reproach, it means that she had been looked down upon by everyone around her. Rachel had for years. She had people looking down on her. Something must be wrong with her. Reproach. It's a picture of gut-wrenching, painful emotions. Leah feels hated, afflicted, neglected, lonely, abandoned, and the sickness of hope deferred. Rachel feels envy, hopelessness, desperation, and reproach. Jacob feels cheated, angry, and wrongly accused. The question is, does God care? Oh, yeah, God's at work. God's at work. He's doing what he's doing. But does he care about what's going on in their lives? The answer is absolutely yes. Notice how God views them and interacts with the broken people. 29 verse 31. God sees Leah in the brokenness of being hated by her husband. And he acts with compassion by opening her womb. In chapter 30, verse 17, God listens to Leah. In the brokenness of feeling abandoned by her husband, who she literally has to purchase a night of intimacy with, and he he acts with compassion, blessing her with a fifth son. In chapter thirty, verse twenty-two, God remembers Rachel in the brokenness of her reproach. And and when the Bible uses that word "remember" of God, it's not like it's not like when you and I go, "Oh man, I forgot i was supposed to take out the trash," and we we bolt outside before the garbage truck comes and we get out. Of there. It's not it's not that kind of remembering. God, when God remembers, it means that. He looks with compassion and it's it's him saying, now's the time where I'm going to love this person well. And they're going to see that I have not forgotten them. He remembers Rachel. He acts by opening her womb, taking away her approach, giving her the hope of having another son one day, which she eventually Did. And then there's Jacob. Now, there's not one particular verse in this passage where we see just this, like one verse where we see God remembering Jacob, God listening to Jacob. But if you think about it, the whole passage is God showing compassion to Jacob, right? God has set his love upon Jacob, but Jacob had turned into a deceiver, a cheater. And yet, God in this passage is still keeping his promise. To give him offspring like the dust of the earth. Now, there's still a long way before his offspring numbers the stars of heaven and the dust of the earth. But I'd say eleven sons and a daughter is a pretty good start considering the mess that his family started off in. God's keeping his promise. That's compassion. Jacob doesn't deserve it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, again. I may not know, maybe even other people around you may not know the the brokenness that you feel today. Today. That you're in. That you're walking through. But I know this. Not only does God is God at work. Accomplishing his plan through your brokenness. He is showing you deep compassion. He's not running over you as he accomplishes his plan. He is loving you. As he accomplishes his plan, he hears, he knows, he listens. Listen, our timing is not God's timing. The way that God works out his plan may not be the way that we would desire for him to work out that plan. But please know that he is a good God. He hasn't forgotten you. He listens. He remembers. He has deep compassion on you. And you trust him in the midst of that. It's a God who loves you so much. So much that he would send his son. To die for you. Listen to listen to what God's word says about God. Exodus 22, verse 27. God says of someone who's feeling the brokenness of in the context of Exodus 22, feeling uh, mistreated specifically through poverty. He says, and if he cries to me, I will hear. God says, for I am compassionate. In Psalm 78, 38, the psalmist describes God's actions toward those who feel the brokenness of sin. And he says, yet he. It's talking about God being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all of his wrath. In James chapter 5, verse 11, we see believers who were facing trials of various kinds. Some of those trials in the context of this passage in James, it's the trials of oppression, mistreatment, and specifically the theft of their wages. They were working hard, I and mean, being robbed of what they had earned. And, and James encourages them with these words. He says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That is our God. And perhaps one of the most uplifting verses in the entire Bible, Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit and church. Oh, does he save? All oh, does he save? Church, the absolutely amazing thing here is that not only is God working sovereignly through the brokenness of this passage and not only is God showing very real compassion to broken people in this passage. But God is sovereignly working out his plan to show his compassion in such a way that he would send a savior to rescue broken people. Truth number three today, church, is this. God provides a savior to rescue broken people. He works sovereignly through the brokenness. He shows deep compassion towards the broken people. And in the midst of it all, he is providing a savior to rescue people from their brokenness. From creation, God has been building a people from his glory. We say, why did he even create humans in the first place? They're, They're image bearers. He was creating people that would reflect the glory of God. But as soon as sin entered the world, God building a people for his glory required God. If there were going to be people who live for his glory, now that sins in the world, it required God to send a savior to rescue those people from their brokenness. Now, eleven sons are born in this passage. Leah gives birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar and Zebulun. Bilhah gives birth to Dan and Naphtali. Zilpah gives birth to Gad and Asher. And, And Rachel gives birth to Joseph. Now, do you remember the promise? That ought to be ringing in our ears every time we open up the book of Genesis and all throughout the Old Testament and really the whole Bible. Do you remember that 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 promise? Genesis chapter three, verse 15. God told the serpent who had helped usher in the brokenness. Right. That's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to break God's perfect world. He helped usher in the brokenness. And God said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise this heel. And his promise in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that has set us on this quest to find this one, this son of promise, this man born of woman who will be a deliverer, who will who will rescue God's image bearers so that we can then live out our purpose and bring in God glory. And with every son born to God's people, we get a step closer. We got a step closer with Seth. We got a step closer with Noah. We got a step closer with Shem. We got a step closer with Abraham. We got a step closer with Isaac. We got a step closer with Jacob. And now we get a step closer with. Well, we got 11 sons here. We got 11 sons. Which is the one who's going to carry on the promise? Who is it going to be? Or perhaps it's just too much brokenness for God to deal with. Perhaps it's time for him to wring his hands of this family and walk away, taking his promises with them. Perhaps it's it's just that this promise deliverer, he just he's so good, he just can't come through such brokenness. Church, the truth of God's word. Is that God is always faithful to his promises, regardless of the amount of brokenness he must work through to keep his promises. God is always faithful to his promises, and that includes his promise of a savior. The savior is going to come. We know that the savior has come and he has come through the brokenness of this particular family. So which son of Jacob will it be? Of course, we, we, we also see a, a, a truth played out in this passage, which we just see all over the pages of Scripture. We've already seen it in a way. We really see it as we look at kind of looking ahead at where the Savior is coming from. It's this, that God doesn't always work in the way that we think he would. God uses unlikely people to accomplish his plan. God uses very broken people to accomplish his plan. Because if we're looking for the promised son, who are we going to pick? Probably one of two people. There's probably two at the top of the list. I'm going to start with Joseph. He's the firstborn Of the wife that Jacob really loves. Perhaps he is the one who will carry on the promises. But if we think that we'd be wrong. Okay, well, let's go to the actual firstborn of Jacob, Reuben. All right. He's the firstborn of Leah. Maybe he's the one who will carry on the promises. Nope. We'd be wrong again. We have to read ahead in the story to find out. But it's actually Leah's fourth son. Judah, son number four, who ends up being the next in line to carry on God's promise of salvation. Now, we're going to see this played out more clearly. You say, how do you know that? Well, from the rest of the Bible, but even in Genesis, when we get to Genesis chapter 49, we're going to see just just a sentence that's going to clue us in that Judah's the one when we get to Genesis chapter 49. But we're not there yet, but we can kind of use that knowledge in helping us understand our text for today. Equipped with this knowledge, knowing that Judah ends up being the ancestor of Jesus, God's promised Savior, we can celebrate, church, both the sovereignty of God and the amazing compassion of God and his eternal plan of redemption that centers upon a Savior. I want you to consider who God uses to carry on his promise of a Savior. He uses a son of Leah. Leah married a man who didn't even know he was marrying her and who had his heart set on someone else morning after their first night together, her husband was furious when he opened his eyes and saw that it was her instead of her beautiful sister. She lived in the shadow of her sister's beauty with the constant tension of her sister's envy. She felt hated by her husband. She longed for her husband's affection. After her first son was born, she said, for now, my husband will love me. But he didn't. After her third son was born, she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. But he wasn't. Such brokenness in the life of Leah. And yet, look what God produced through this broken woman's life. Look what came from her. Her third son, this is really awesome. Her third son, Levi, became the tribe of priests in Israel. Her her fourth son, Judah, became the tribe of kings in Israel. The tribe of priests and the tribe of kings both came from very broken leah one writer said it this way said it so well two of the major old testament institutions priesthood and kingship have their origin in an unwanted and unplanned marriage that is the sovereignty of god and that is the compassion of god on display god's sovereignty And compassion, then leading to none other than the great high priest and the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming from this broken woman, Leah. Who did God pick to mother the son who would become the tribe which would produce the promised savior? He picked unloved, hated, lonely Leah. Her fourth son, Judah, would carry on the promise of a savior. But this. This story, I mean, there's listen to this. You you just really want to see God, just his sovereignty on display here. Notice this. Her fourth son, when when he's born, first three sons, the way that she names them shows that she's just longing for her husband's affection, longing for his love, longing for his, his attention. But then when son number four comes along, notice what she says. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. And she names her son Judah. Do you know what Judah is a derivative of from Hebrew? It it's praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. Think about this: that son named Judah, praise the Lord, eventually had an offspring named Jesus. What's the what's Jesus mean? You know what you know what the name Jesus means? It means the one who saves. It means the one who saves. So put this together. What did God do with broken Leah? He sovereignly and compassionately worked through the brokenness to produce Judah and Jesus. Praise the Lord. Here's the one who saves. Praise the Lord. Here's the one who saves Judah and then Jesus. Church, that's only a story that God could write. That's only a story that He could write. Church, that is a story that He has written. It's what we've been studying here today. He has written that story. It is the story of salvation. God working through the brokenness of humanity to send a savior for broken people. God working in unexpected ways through unexpected people so that his sovereignty and compassion would be on full display so that we would step back and say, only God could do something like that. What does that What does that mean has happened at that point? When we step back, people rescued from our brokenness saying, only God gets all the glory. What has God just done? He has built his people for his glory. Through scenes of brokenness, he has built his people for his glory. Or just a little bit more to the story of brokenness that then leads to rescue. You see, God didn't just send Jesus as a savior to rescue broken people by simply coming to this earth. Right. He didn't just send Jesus as a savior to To come and live among us and experience the brokenness of this world. Church, God sent Jesus into the brokenness to then be broken for us. This is the good news of the gospel. Don't miss this. Christ didn't just enter the brokenness of this world. He was broken for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin. That's brokenness. Who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Jesus being broken for us on the night of his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And as he hung on the cross, Jesus cried out in the abandonment that we have felt. In the abandonment that sometimes we felt might have felt, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a man experiencing brokenness, though he doesn't deserve to experience it. It's God rescuing sinners from their sin. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Hear me. God loves you so much that he sent his son. To be broken for your brokenness and for my brokenness. The brokenness that our sin causes in our lives. And through his brokenness on our behalf, you and I can be healed, can be mended, can be put back together into a right relationship with God. Not just for a little while, but forever and ever and ever. Praise God. Jesus is the one who saves The sovereignty of God, the compassion of God on full display there as the Son of God hangs upon the cross. Have you believed in this Jesus? God has compassion on you. He loves you. Do you doubt me? Does, Does your scene of brokenness make you doubt whether or not God is at work and whether or not he is showing compassion? Do you doubt that? Friend, look at the cross. That was for you. That was for you. It was for me. It's a free gift. Have you received his gift of compassion and grace? And if you have, are you celebrating that in your life? Two responses that I want to draw your attention to. If you haven't been healed of the brokenness of your sin by trusting in Jesus, do that today. If you have questions about that, I would be more than happy to talk with you after the service or sometime when it works for you to to talk about what that looks like in your life. And Christian brothers and sisters, if you are feeling discouraged today. Because you're in a scene of brokenness, please be encouraged. Not just by me, but by God and his word and his plan. He knows. He hears. He's listening. He sees. He has a plan. He's working it out according to his purpose. He's showing you compassion. Rest in that. And rejoice in this Savior. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for the great God that you are. There's no one like you. God, there's no one like you. There's no one as holy as you. There's no one as compassionate as you. There's no one as sovereign as you. Who can work through, not even just around, but through immense brokenness to bring about your plan of redemption for people who have turned their back on you and yet you and your love and for your glory are building people for your glory. People that will rejoice in this Savior forever and ever and ever. God, may it just leave us standing in awe of you, wanting to live for you, Wanting to share this good news with a world that is so broken around us. Thank You for Your Word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.